I was like, yeah, they're not going to be thrilled with me if it turns out I can't get online. No, you're like the glue. Because El- Elmer will just leave me to ask all the questions. <laughs> oh. All right, here we go. We are live. I'll get the video started. Dun, 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 dun. In a world of divisiveness, we bring you diversity. In a world of hate, we bring you love. In a world of fear, we inspire you to live. And now, laughing, loving, and alive with your host, Rain Thomas. Elmer J. Howard and Dr. Kevin. Hello, hello. I am Father Who are you? Father Time. Oh, I am Gary Puckett. <laughs> Who's that? I'll tell you in a minute. All right. Gary Puckett and... Uh... 1960s singer and uh, Gary Puckett and the, God, I can't remember the name of the band, but if I think long enough, the show will be over and I still won't remember it. The Union uh, Gap. The Union Gap. That's right. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, it's not politically correct to talk about the Union anymore. So, well, anyways. his song isn't politically correct either, so. <laughs> that's all right. Yeah. I can tell. What's this, what's going on? But this is uh, uh, it's not tracking me, and I thought it was supposed to track me, so I could be like talking to you, and it would look like I was talking to you, and it looks like I'm coming down from the heavens. So just call me Ariel. So Ariel, Ariel, Uriel, Gabriel, what the hell? Just call me something. You're on the lake. You don't care. Um, so Elmer, Gary Puckett, when I was a kid, and I was, this was, they came out before I was a kid, but there was time when the radio stations only had like a couple of songs in rotation, you know, so you hear the same songs over and over and, you know, you're a kid, you just sing along. And one of the songs that I've always loved, and, and even once I got to high school, someone told me, you're like, are you listening to the lyrics? No, I'm just singing along. The song goes. <laughs> Young girl, get out of my mind. My love for you is way out of line. You better run, girl. You're much too young, girl. I know that song. So you do know that song. So the story has it that he was in his 20s and she was like 15 or <laughs> And I've always, every time I hear that song and I sing along, I think, are people like having a problem with that now? Cause you know, things are so different. I mean, I still perform it, but I always have that feeling like, is someone in the audience thinking like, hello, pedophile, hello, something's wrong. Hello, I don't care. I love that song. I love the artist and I'm Gary Puckett because I'm an artist and somebody's always scrutinizing other artists. I mean, Elmer, I'm sure people are always telling you what you should and shouldn't be doing as a director. Yep, they always have, everyone has their opinions. Yeah, you know what they say, everybody has has two things, opinions and... And a big toe. Mouth. (laughs) (laughs) And a big toe. Mouths from which they fart. Um, Anyways... Well, you know, and it's, it is so crazy because 100 and 150 years ago, a 15 or 16-year-old girl marrying, a, I mean, you know, dating or involved with a 22, 23-year-old man was not a big deal. I mean, 150 years ago, they were basically selling 12-year-olds to 70-year-olds called the aristocracy. And, mm-hmm. and that was like, um, yeah, first of all, Pedophile, prepubescent child. Once they go through puberty and they have started adulthood, they're no longer a child. So let's be really clear on that before you start throwing scabs around. It's well, my response to them. But well, I, you're, I agree with you. They're saying it, but you know. 
I don't care what they say, because here's the thing. Back in the day, if you look at people who were farmers, a lot of those wives were young. I mean, my sister, when she got married, she was 14 and her husband was 28. And nobody batted an eye because it was on a farm and having kids. Nobody said a word. This is what they did, right? Now, all of a sudden, somebody comes up and, you know, and don't send me any messages talking about what I'm advocating because I promise you, you will get your feelings hurt and you will be blocked. And Elmer knows how to block you permanently. Don't believe me? Ask some of the folks. <laughs> so don't think you're attacking me. This is a conversation, period. And that mouth that you're farting out of is going to be handed back to you on a platter. Bam! What Bam! I'm ready tonight. I am ready. So... You know, the thing is, and if that farmer was in Utah, that 14-year-old girl would have been his third or fourth wife at that point. Nobody would have played. Right. Right. You know, it was, that's just the way it was. We have this false thing, you know, and I've had this, and I've got, I get dinged about this. I've got people that I really respect and, and, and care about, and and I have gone down the, the for the count fighting about when I say things like, I think in eighth grade, people should be assumed, uh, people should be assessed, should they even go through high school or should they go to a trade school? Is mm -hmm. it trade school what calls them? If you want to mm -hmm. do the trade school, if you want to go to the high school, you don't want to go to any school, great. We're going to emancipate you, put you on your, wor on your own, go out in the world and figure it out. Because mm -hmm. I think that there is a point where we have to stop wasting money and resources right. and time pounding something down somebody's throat that they are not they're not able to take they're not willing to take that they just create this crazy bloated part of our system that isn't spending the money where it should be on the kids who want to learn right if you want to if you want to go and learn how to be a plumber baby you can be a plumber by 16. You can leave the house, which might be the best choice you ever made. You may go out and start a life and being an adult because you're ready. And if you fall on your face, well, welcome to adulthood. That's what happens. I'm not going to put up and holler you and say, oh, you're 16. You shouldn't be held responsible for your actions. No, you chose to not show up, study, do the work. You know, now when I say that, there has to be equity involved right there has to be equity so if the person really wants to learn and is living in or coming from an environment that has not been an environment in which they've received the resources they need in order to learn that's a different story mm -hmm. but there are some people that at 16 would be very happy to become uh, uh an electrician a plumber an hvac person leave school behind and would have much happier and more successful lives and then we can take those dollars and, no, not put them towards bombs. We have enough dollars going towards uh, bombs in this country. Okay? We can then put them out and upgrade our education system, pay our educators what they're worth, get rid of the ones that are worth what we're paying them because we want better educators than that, and make it a respected profession that is considered in the same category as a doctor and a lawyer and everybody else. So, yeah. Don't get me going on this parade, Sunshine. Wow, I am impressed. Elmer, What do you have anything? We're all in a soapbox, so come on, Elmer. I got you. Get up here with us. <laughs> get on your dial and preach those soap bubbles, baby. <laughs> I, I have nothing nothing more to add. I mean, you guys haven't said anything I disagree with, so. It's it's kind of amazing because I feel the same way. You know, you're just wasting time and money. Um, I know some folks who after like eight years of college and a ton of school loans, they went to a trade school and came out and made far more than they would have ever made with those eight years where they were just kind of like, well, my parents wanted me to go through college. I am one of those people for sure. I mean, I've got a lot of years in college and you know, and you come out and do the stuff you really want to do. So I completely am on that soapbox. You know, you, I think life is better when you go out and do the things that you enjoy. You know, it took me 10 years to get my bachelor's degree because 
I paid for it all as I went along. I took out a minimum amount of student loans. I worked full time the whole time. And it took me 10 years. And I was, and even though by the time I got it, I already had the jobs that I needed it to qualify for from work experience. My first degrees were in business management and psychology. And I was already, I'd already gone through managing in several different industries. My resume opened the job, not what degree I had. Mm -hmm. But you want to know why I got that degree? What was the one driving force? That's a very good question. Is that just for yourself or? Nope. I got that degree and proved I was going to get it because when I, when I actually had got accepted into a college for a very unique, hard to get into program, I was going to have to take student loans and I was going to have to do grants and all this stuff. But I needed my mother and stepfather to fill out paperwork for me to get it. Mm-hmm. And my stepfather refused because he said I was too stupid to go to college. So why would he take the time to do the paperwork? So I had to pass up getting accepted into the program. And so I put myself through college. But I walked down that aisle with that diploma so I could shove it down wherever um, to say, no, maybe you didn't go to college, but I did, and I got a degree for it. So it's very interesting when you look back to think what motivated you. Right. But that's, you know, and then I went and got my master's and my doctorate because it motivated me by because I wanted it. But anyway. That's a great story, though, because, you know, you've got people out there listening to us all the time, and, you know, sometimes days go by and someone will, you know, ring in with the question, you know, do you think I can do this? Do you know, I know, because some you just never know who's waiting to hear the message and who they're waiting to get the message from, right? Yep. And, you know, I have often said to my clients over the years, be, be clear, sometimes you do things to spite people and sometimes you do things in spite of people. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you do both. And it's okay. Just be clear on what you're doing. Just don't lie to yourself about it. Right. Be clear. I I knew those last couple of classes I took that I wasn't going to get any higher level positions in my career track at the time based on getting that piece of paper. But I was still motivated to prove I wasn't too stupid to get a college degree. And here you are. Here all of us are in spite of the fact, I mean, the chances of a, the three of us meeting somewhere, I mean, maybe, you know, I think Elmer and I might have stumbled across each other somewhere. And Dr. Kevin, you and I might have stumbled across each other in that speaking arena at some point. But here we are at Laughing, Loving, Alive. And Elmer, did you say this is like year three we're going into? Uh, yeah, we already started year three with um, our last show. That's amazing. Yep. And so we probably are getting close to wanting to bring in our guest. We have a guest? We have, well, you know, we, we have to schedule these, like the three of us shows on a regular basis or they spill over. And the poor guest is sitting there going, I got invited on this show for what? To listen to those three nutcases talk? <laughs> what was I thinking? Well, you know what? I, I'm going to let you do the intro because I think Zen reached out to you. Okay. And I think this is going to be really interesting. So I think his wife is going to play a piano intro in, or maybe I'm just making that up and she'll hear me and come up and play like dun 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 Hello, Charlene. Boys hey, Charger. Are hey, Charger. So, tonight's guest, Bruce Zen. Beneficial. Zen is an author, curator, educator, host, facilitator, dad joke teller, grandfather joke teller, and transformational coach. He transforms you from a couch to a coach. You know, that's a big letter change. He's the executive director of Live and Let Live Global Peace Movement. And now 
We are glad to welcome a piece of Zen. Yo ho! <laughs> uh, uh, doot, doot. You're good for more. So, so Kevin, what, what was? Anybody remembers that one? The, the, the I beneficial? do. Yeah. Okay. It's actually beneficial, Doctor Kevin. I was going to say, Kevin, what was that last name? <laughs> you said beneficial. That is so common. Benefield. I said, I said beneficial. Well, that's because when I think of Zen, I, I think of somebody that's really beneficial. Yeah. <laughs> Good save. All right. net. Fits really well. Hey. I, I have been saying I'm, I'm, I'm actually on a mini vacation uh, up in Vermont, the Vermont, New York border on Lake Champlain. And um, I've been saying all day. Yes, we're, I've, I've, I've got the show tonight with Zen Beneficial. I've been saying it all day long. <laughs> That's cool. It, like I say, it's not uncommon. It happens all the time, and I answer to hey, you. <laughs> so Did you just matter. call me Common? <laughs> <laughs> he called me Common. <laughs> all right, should I call you Un? <laughs> I've been called worse. Where is it, hun? You call me hun. I'm okay sure. with that. If it, if it doesn't bother your wife, it doesn't bother my husband. You can call me hun. All right. So. That's so, why you're late for dinner, right? That is an old bill. Yeah. I'm sorry. What did you say? Who am I having for dinner? Um, no, what's on first? I don't know who's on third. Who's on second? Oh, Elmer yeah. knows something. <laughs> well, you know, of course, Elmer would know something that involved the Three Stooges. He counts himself as one on a regular no, basis. Okay, Un. That wasn't Three Stooges. No. Abbott oh, Abbott and Costello. Come on. That's the old guy. It was Abbott and Costello beneficial. Throw me off the show. I'm Jeez. signing out now. And what Abbott was that doctor again? What? What was that doctorate in? <laughs> it was not in Hollywood <laughs> classic. One, huh? All right. Yeah. I guess I'm not that bad of a joke teller. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I semi-stand by what I say. Yes, it was Abbott and Costello, but Elmer's still a stooge. So it works for me. So, of course, oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> it's a rough crowd, Zen. <laughs> So, I can handle it. I've been there. I've I've heard you can handle it, but we're not going there. So, okay. Rev where Zen, are we going? Rev Zen, Rev, Rev. I take it that is is that Rev like or is it Rev like Reverend? Yes. <laughs> where is so, your wife? <laughs> I, I am an I am an irreverend. And. May I ask, is that a, is, is, is there a religion behind that or is it more of a spiritual reverence? Um, it, I got it for the spiritual side of things. I got it through the Universal Life Church and I also got an honorary um, doctorate divinity from them from a 40 some odd pa uh, page uh, dissertation. So I like to write, as you might imagine, I've got what, almost 20 books now or 20 books. And um, yeah, I tend to write really quick and stream of consciousness and I have a lot of fun doing it. Can't say that for others, but I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm kind of tough to follow sometimes. However, when you can, it's a lot of fun. So let me ask you this question from, from, from one, another writer who writes a lot i'm 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 around 25 or 26 i just had another book come out this week last week this week i don't know i lose track cool congrats. So i get it but i will tell but i i have this this is a very serious question for you do you write stream of consciousness yes see most of the time most of the time then i go back in and i fill in the gaps well see at least you go back in and fill in the gaps kevin writes streams of consciousness and then hands it off to us I give it to my staff to edit. <laughs> that sounds like a program to me. Yeah. You should try it sometime. Yeah, I need to get staff first. You know, I've been just carrying it around. Yeah. You know? So 
tell us, tell us uh, how did you go from Bruce to Zen? Oh, that's a really interesting story. So a couple of things that I was orphaned at birth and adopted early. And then I met my birth mother at 61. Now, oddly enough, my adoptive parents named me Bruce and my birth mother would have named me Bruce too, which I found rather interesting. Now, in between those periods, so, you know, not having any awareness of, of what my terrestrial heritage was. And, and really, once I found out I was adopted, I really went inside and I started searching, uh, who am I? You know, how do I belong? Who's my parents? Why did they give me up? Do I have a father and mother in heaven? And can I talk with them? Right? Kind of thing. And so I developed this inner communication. And yet, and then uh, I think it was the summer of 88, during, right after a full moon meditation that a friend of mine and I went to, we were sitting in front of my guest house that he was staying in at the time. I was going through a divorce, so I had things prepped and ready for the move. And so I wouldn't be, uh, have to leave my the presence of my kids. We had four at the time. And so I we have this deep conversation and I it felt quiet. I closed my eyes. I go inside. I ask the question, who am I? And I hear his chair move. I open my eyes up. I turn to look at him, locked on his eyes. First words out of his mouth, you are Zendor. Same instant, second sight comes on, eyes open even. And I see this starscape with a huge stone arch doorway and a thick wooden door slowly opening toward me. And I hear door to what is. So I'm like, oh, what uh, is going on here, right? And nobody's going to believe this shit. So I tell him what I just experienced and then put it on the shelf. So two years later, I got the opportunity to produce a show for public access, actually. And we called it One World. My format was kind of diving deep into people's personal lives, uh, how they got where they were at, what prompted them to do what they're doing from both inner and outer perspectives, what fears they encountered, more importantly, how they overcame them, and how they saw that fitting into the common human experience around them. So about six shows in, one of the guys on the set calls me, because I use Zendor as the subheading, right? Because I was kind of digging into the, the depths. And one of the guys calls me Zen one night, and it just cascaded from there. That was 1990. And before I knew it, everybody was calling me Zen. I had a real issue with it for a little bit, even though I'd gotten the name before, right? Because I had issues with people in the 70s that were changing their names. And that was a huge period of that, right? Oh, yeah. And so here I am, lesson learned, don't judge others because you're going to be in their seat soon. Right? So... Having acquiesced to that over the years, I got comfortable with the name. What a wonderful, um, challenging name to have because people expect me to be in the Zen zone most of the time. And so I'm challenged to do so. Why not? It's a pretty cool place to be, right? <laughs> it's a kind of disciplined place and there's a lot of challenges and a lot of missteps and learnings and things, trials and tribulations, as I was told early in my life, uh, understatement. And yet it's that understanding of just being in a place where you observe and report what is rather than get tweaked by the push and pull of emotions that happen otherwise. So that leads me to, well, that, I have a few different questions about that. Um, you know, it's very interesting because I will say when you said Zendor, I, 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 what I heard was like door, like doorway to Zen. Like this was your entrance in the process exactly. of into Zen. And so it was like, yeah, the guy oh, upstairs so, got this really sick sense of humor. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, when you finish getting on the other side of the door, you can leave the door behind you. Um, so I, I so as you, when you said, so, like, oh, okay. Yeah. 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 But, the way you present it, some people might hear, and perhaps it is what you're saying, emotions are a bad thing. No. Because you're no, not about being in a place where you are 
separate yeah, not a bad thing at all, but they can be distracting if you're trying to find center, right? Because you're not really fully functional out of center when you're being dominated by emotional perturbations. Do you think you can be in center if you're dominated by intellectual? No. Okay. No, so. there's a blending that, that you have to accept everything about yourself whenever, however it happens, right? That's just the way, that's what is, that's the Zen of it. Now, where, when you take that to the next level, it's like, okay, I've experienced that. I'll embrace that. I'll be it. I'll, I'll love it, right? And then let go of it to find out what the essence or the, the Zen moment within it actually is. Because there's always an insight or new understanding or new uh, even practice to engage to make that center more fully uh, functional and, and engageable on a more frequent basis, right? Because when you're in that center place, uh, it's like Armandino saying, that, you know, the precious present, right? When you're in that present moment, you're not in the past or the future, so you're not in your fear. Right, because that usually keeps us from being able to act appropriately in the moment, being centered and still and, and loving. Now, do you right. consider fear an emotion? Um, yeah, I would say so because there's, you know, it's like perfect example. It's a feeling, right? Feelings turn into emotions, right? Would you agree? Okay. Um, As you process an emotion, it so, but, but, where so, you identify what it is. So you can move. You can move into fear from emotions to me. You can move into fear physiologically, emotionally. You can do it um, intellectually. You can even do it spiritually. You can move into fear from every doorway. So I would never associate it with a single doorway, but a nexus point of any of those doorways. Right. Just like how we're sound, hearing the sound from your microphone right now. It's yeah, kind Kevin, of, you're holding you're holding your iPad. Yeah. And it's, and it's actually all we're, that's why I muted you for a minute. All we're hearing is loud noise. Well, I, I could hear him talking, now, but there was this background of muddledness, which is kind of where fear takes us, right? Whether it's intellectual, emotional, um, feeling, uh, sensing, you know, it, it's um, usually it happens from an unexpected event or occurrence that you that comes from a place where you were prepared, right? So you have this. Um, Kind of a butt pucker, right? Where you feel your whole body clench just for an instant. Like this afternoon, we were having lunch at a Lebanese restaurant and I and I saw, I was checking my um, social media stuff and I saw that Rain had looked at my profile on LinkedIn and I right away thought, oh, you know, I, I had a moment of not remembering exactly when the time was and thinking our interview was much earlier. So I, in, in that moment, I felt this rush of, I guess it's cortisol, which is the hormone that's released in the brain when that happens. And so we, my wife and I sat and talked about that experience for a little bit and identifying how that sensation took place, what I felt, the physiological result of that. And then the whole thing was like, well, that was kind of silly because it's not for three hours. Right? <laughs> So again, that's a perfect example of, of having your having your stuff in order and then second guessing yourself that you don't for a moment. Well, I think that there are such things as I don't look at all fear as bad. Some fear is very necessary. Some fear is actually there is something you should be aware of. And in that heightened awareness state that the fear don't step out in front of the bus. You can dodge the bullet and you can get that from any different 
way. I was just, that's why I don't consider fear in, in of itself an emotion. I, I can, I consider, you know, and you know, I like to poke with guests. We like to have these conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, it's, it's fear. We're in your, when you're in fear, what are you in? You're in a state of being in fear, right? Whether it's emotional or the sense of physiological, and it spans all those realms, I believe. Well, now, the, so the minute I go into, so the minute I, I realize that fear is present personally, I embody it to go, okay, so who are you? What are you about? What's going on? What are you trying to tell me? Mm -hmm. What, where do you do? I have a conversation with it and then I can let it go. Right. Because you have a pre presence of mind yep. to hit the pause button and reflect, right? Because usually everything around us, there's no reason for us to be in any kind of fear. So it's usually was, something that we create on top of or in between what's going on around us. Now, I had a, a gentleman, uh, a blood brother, I guess, mixed blood Cherokee, brother from another mother, um, told me years ago that fear is false evidence appearing real. What we seek to do is free every anxious reaction. And I said, yeah, but what we generally do is F everything and run. Right. So... And, you know, I, I have to say to you, um, and then and then we can move to a different topic. I hate that definition. I think it is so misleading. It is not false evidence. There are times when the fear is very real. You're supposed to say, well, I don't, don't disagree with you at all. But that's a rare occasion. In reality, in my experience, have you ever lived in a war zone? Or in the Bronx? I have been in places where there, I, I used to have clients in South Phoenix and gang neighborhoods. And I taught in the inner city school in the middle of gang territory. So yes, I've been around that. And still there, are, those moments are not that common. Now, granted, if you're in a war zone, you're a totally different story. And is an exception to what we are talking about. But what I thought we were talking about was a general sense of here we are in a first world country, you know, and not really having to deal with the, those kinds of issues up close and personal like others do. And those are present, that's for sure. Horrific kind of situations to have to deal with on a daily basis. One of my, uh, one of the guys that I interviewed on my show, his name was Yasin Kosti. He was the uh, president of the Association for Afghans in Arizona, and they helped refugees. They had a whole community. One of the kids that came over, a teenager, heard a backfire. They, he was living with them temporarily. He heard a car backfire in the neighborhood, and he dove behind a couch. Mm -hmm. I, I, so he came out of that war-torn war kind of environment where the slightest noise is like, oh, I, I got to dive for cover because mm -hmm. there's danger. Yeah. And the danger is real. There's no false evidence there at all. Agreed. However, and, and, for the most part in dealing with first world, you know, the kind of conversations, folks that, that watch these videos and things like that, most of them don't have those kinds of problems. So it's usually the fears that they have in their own lives that they've either created or, or perceived to be potential that they're having to deal with. And so that creates the cortisol that lim that limits the, um, what is it, the serotonin and, and melatonin. What's the other happy hormone? Dopamine? Yes. Thank you. So, but, you know, this goes back to what you were saying before, which... I completely agree with is you have fear show up in any form you go present with it aware with it interact with it and find out does it have a reality it's a door it, for me yeah but it's but you that's not me unless it's the storm um, sounds like somebody's on a ship yeah um, 
Yeah. And my friendlies are coming into play, evidently. So, but, you know, then going into that place where you are actually doing the, you know, like when I try to work, you know, I've been, I've been working as a spiritual coach, counselor, and catalyst for 33 years now. Mm -hmm. This is what I do full time. And so I all the time say to people, the first question I want you to get zone in on, is it real or not real? Because if right. it's not real, then it is false evidence. Then you have to go, where am I triggered? Where am I, you know, stuck in my past? Well, this, here is the whole list of questions. But the very first thing I want you to do is establish if it's real or not real. Because if you run around going, it's not real, it's not real, it's not real, we're attending your funeral. True. Because sometimes it is. Right. It's not a globalization. It's a moment-to-moment -moment assessment. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me, what was your first book? Oh, um, my first book, I it took me 10 years to write. It was over almost 700 pages. And then I split it up into three separate books. Um, it was called Vendor the Contrarian initially. And then I turned it into Vendor the Barbarian um, <laughs> series. Right? And uh, yeah, Love I was it. trying to keep a tongue in cheek because it's pretty heavy stuff. It, it's kind of a pseudo autobiography with with a lot of questions and ponderings about what else is possible based on the information and experiences that I had and the science behind them to date. Um, then the it, but it, <laughs> the interesting thing is during that time, I wrote three other books because I I had these ideas that just didn't fit. And so I went off on tangents with each one of them. The first one was, are we one? Which was a bunch of questions regarding that very question, right? Because we understand this concept of oneness, but are we really one? And how can we unpack all of that to show, yes, we are, or mm, not quite sure yet, right? Um, and even on an energetic level, that, that's all energy. So. I had a conversation recently with Dr. Urban Laszlo that he comes from this high self place or higher self place where everybody's connected and that we're individuated forms that learn how to dance with each other. And I take it to the extent of, from an experience I had as a teenager that showed me first, there is no death. And second, that we are all cosmic consciousness condensed into form, just unaware. And so from that cosmic consciousness condensed into form unawareness place, we're trying to figure out, okay, how can I become more aware of how I can manage myself, my environment, my responses to the stimuli that's going on around us? And then how can I learn to maybe function on a little higher level to help others understand their own perfected form, fit, and function in the world? Which if we consider that there's this energy and there's this intricate math and how things of the universe are structured, how precise they are, and even all the historical evidence that we find from the math and science that are in all the, the pyramids and the structures and things like that, and, and cross-references to those kinds of things, then where do we go from there? Here's the outer references to all of this. Well, how do we make it personal, practical, and experienceable? for ourselves and others to dance in this dance of harmony, which isn't necessarily utopia. It's a better management of the chaos that we experience because we begin recognizing the patterns in it, like the fear, right? There's certain patterns that show up over and over again. So how do we manage those patterns and how do we back up, learn how to have more critical thinking in the process and then be able to acquiesce to that, oh, it is safe. I am secure. And I can have a psychologically safe and intellectually humble conversation with somebody without being afraid of them. Well, you know, I like to take the reporters who, what, where, when, why um, approach to patterns and go, mm -hmm. again, what are you here to teach me? I obviously needed you as a survival skill at some point. Do I not need you anymore? What have I replaced you for? What's my upgrade? Where do I go now? Like, you know, a lot of times I feel I, I hear people out that are out there at spiritual teachers that want to get you get get you away from those things without actually letting them teach you what they needed to teach you. So then you just stick something else in that's just as bad because you have nothing right. good to put in its place. Right. 
it, it's um you know that we learn these different things at different periods in our life or at least have the opportunities to um when i first started in my corporate life i guess i, I went from a machinist in the aerospace industry to managing a seven million dollar a month product line with 800 part numbers which meant that i had the authority to get stuff done i had the responsibility to get stuff done but no authority to do it right so i had to convince others to put my jobs at the top of their priority list which always you know the made me realize how others around me dealt with that and which was a very militaristic kind of framework whereas if you don't give me what i want i'm going to go to your boss or i'm going to beat you up emotionally until you give me what i need well that only lasts you know once maybe twice unless that person is used to that pattern right and then that's consistent for them and that's what they expect well i never grew up that way i don't expect that i don't treat people that way my way was just and it wasn't Yahweh, or maybe it could be Yahweh too. It was, uh, hey, how can I help you get what you need? Or can I go get something for you while you're busy doing my thing? And, you know, how can we find some way to help each other in this? And it was a completely different approach than what I had witnessed. And so much so that they, my bosses actually came to me you doing and they show up to cubicle and here's where my fear came up right because normally when your bosses show up at your cubicle you screwed up right because they're not going to come to you and praise you that's what i expect <laughs> well today it's a different story but this was in the mid 80s right so that's when i was in corporate yeah <laughs> yeah right so here we are you know 2700 employee company and militaristic in that sense so they show up my cubicle and i think oh shit, what do i do right and they said oh no no because they saw the look on my face <laughs> I, I guess or i said oh what did i do and they said no 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 i said you haven't done anything wrong actually you've done something right you're at the top of the production list for on-time deliveries and and over uh goal and or meeting and exceeding goals. And he says, so we want to know what the heck are you doing to do that? And I didn't have to think long at all. I said, it's all interpersonal skills. It's how you deal with people because people do everything. Doesn't matter what the product or service is. It's the people that make it happen. So how do you learn to get along and help each other do the job that you all need to do? Right. And the same thing applied much later, 20 years later, I was doing partnering workshops for multi-million dollar uh, road bridge waterway and national park services and, and all kinds of, of huge construction jobs well the construction industry was when i when partnering first started was very adversarial here in arizona it was instituted through uh, arizona department of transportation because they had 19 million dollars in litigation fees in 1989 and so in 1990 they said hey we need to do something about this so let's institute partnering in 1992 they reduced that 19 million to less than a million so that would that demonstrated how learning to get people to get along and the process that's developed in order to do that it works but you have to get through and cancel the butt now we now, were you raised in, in Phoenix? Were you more in Arizona? Oh, no, no. I was raised in a small town in Indiana. Everybody knew everybody. No house, no doors were locked. Um, gates were open. You know, uh, everybody pretty much knew everybody. And um, besides, you know, the normal um, grapevine that exists in towns, it, it was uh, very some, comfortable and, and safe. Some of what you're talking about, the whole time you're talking about it, um, I'll, is everybody else hearing that? Yep. Hearing what? This is static. 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 Yeah. All right. Just ignore it. Work through it. Let's go. Right. There's so, a, there's a viewer question. Sure. So, Rain, you had it. Yes. Her name is Isabella and she wants this question to go to both, uh, Rev Zen and Dr. Kevin. Uh, Isabella says she's lived her whole life in fear and no matter what she tries to replace it with, she doesn't know what to replace it with. So it just goes back to living in fear. 
she says, because she comes from a background of fear, what do Dr. Kevin and Rev Zen think, where do, uh, I'm sorry, where should she start? Because she's tired of living in that space. Rev, as our guest, please. All right. First. You know, I do that just because you, you have the doc there. So um, I just generally go by Zen. Uh, but since I got the credential, why not? The, right. Um, right. So what I, where I would start is, Bill, is, is in the present moment. Right. If there's fear present, then look around you. Make sure, you know, just look at the, the environment that you're in in the immediate moment. And more than likely, it's going to be a fairly safe and secure environment. So acknowledge that first. Right. That's the present moment that you're in. Start there. When you acknowledge that, you breathe that in and anchor that feeling of nothing to be afraid of right there. Then you have at least the beginning sense of what it feels like to be without that fear, because you know you're safe in that moment. And, and there's no reason not to be, even if you're thinking and the thinking is usually past or future, right? So in the present moment, you are safe and secure. So recognize that, take it in, breathe it, embrace it, love it, acknowledge that that's true for you in that moment. And once you, once you have a sense of that feeling, that sensation in that moment, it's repeatable because you've experienced it. It's like a file you put in your drawer or in your brain and that you can call up whenever you want to because you can do it by choice at that point because you've had a direct experience of it. It's no longer theory, right? And this is the, the difference that most of these kinds of things make. You need a direct experience of something in order to lock it into your cellular memory. Once it's done, it's there for recall. And one of the other things that I do on, even for me today, I still, you know, when things are, are a little chaotic or I'm in a meeting and, and especially dealing with, you know, issues that promote world peace, there's challenges. And so what I do, and, and I learned this as a teenager in a very anxiety filled moment, I happen to be uh, putting my fingertips together and I noticed that I could feel my heartbeat in my fingertips. And then I started paying attention to that and breathing more consciously with it my breath my breathing would deepen slightly as i was feeling my heartbeat and there were no thoughts going on because i was out of my head i was in my feeling and i was connected to my heartbeat which is the most your heart and your inspiration are the two things that keep you alive mm -hmm. right you can consider the heart beat as maybe a um, the scaled down uh, fractal of the universe pulse of out and in. And then the breath as the inhale and exhale of Mother Earth, the universe, you know, the, the inspiration that we get for being in a place free of fear because we've checked our immediate environment and we're clear. Right. So this is one way that I find works really well. Okay, Dr. Kevin. So first of all, um, Isabel, I heartily recommend you try everything that Rev Zen um, uh, suggested. I think that that all is a, a pathway that, you know, it, if it works for you, that that's great. And I want to say that there are many pathways of healing, many pathways to conscious cosmic consciousness, to God, Goddess, Ali, Buddha, whatever you want. No pathway necessarily negates another one. They're just different pathways. And we always have to find the pathway that's correct for who we are in the moment. If you were my client, I would, would start by intuiting ages in your childhood where that inner child was still functioning and still influencing your life that 
where would did that child what were the survival skills and why did it have to create those survival skills i would separate separate it out from the adult who is living today we would then look to understand and um heal and release that child so it was no longer in existence with you coming from that place of fear because that's where you learned it was in your childhood and in doing that process of healing and recognizing and working with that inner child we would also work with the current adult and bring in through the intellect a different understanding that the adult could have the intellectual understanding of that is other than that emotional place that the child is coming from bringing those two together the child learns to trust that the adult has the ability through their intellect their experience their intuitive their own connection with spirit to be able to move away from real things that you should be afraid of move into places where you are empowered recognize where you have the ability to do the problem solving that is necessary so that you can be empowered and kind of in a way the master of your own situation to make it the best situation possible which takes the maturity to accept may not always be a good situation not all situations are going to always be good it's always about can we make the best of every situation whether it's a fabulous situation or it's a fabulously screwed up situation they all happen but it's about developing the ability to know that you are being your best and most in each situation that reinforces in you that um your child can trust you and when your child trusts you enough that child goes away and when that child goes away it takes those that child's emotional survival skills and fears with it. So that's how I would do it. She said very different approach. Yeah, that's perfectly She so. says to send you both a great big kiss. Thank you cuz she says it's time to free herself. Virtual hug. Virtual hug. Come on, Elmer, virtual hug. <laughs> Come on. There we go. I love virtual hugs. And they work. So, so Zed, what is your latest book? It's called Zero to One, and making our way toward a conscious civilization. It's brought. It's broken down in, into several sections. Uh, it began as the answering uh, three questions: uh, What is non-human intelligence, and how? does that differ from human intelligence and then are there multiple contact modalities that we can experience that in the ways that we engage life right so this came initially as a request from uh, an organization that was doing a lot of uh, surveys and uh, development with what we might call contactees or experiencers that have uh, situations happen with other beings, um, some of them not from here, some of them in other dimensions, whatnot, right? These kinds of things do happen to folks. And so there's several thousand of them that took these surveys. And in their second book, he'd asked me to include uh, a chapter in it because of my own direct experience since childhood and having dealt with that throughout my life. So that's the first section that, that kind of explains what those are. And, and then I talk about the holistic systems that we have within our, you know, as our human body, mind, heart complex, and the chakras, the datuns, the meridians, the marma, um, you know, the systems that are built into the body energetically that help us tune into that consciousness that we are. And then if I take that to the next level of okay how does this work in relationship to connecting with nature uh, with others with other worlds and how do we come together a little bit more and learning how to work together more effectively in that kind of framework to where there is this sense of 
oneness for lack of a better and yet it's not made so complex you know complex things don't have to be complicated right when we have that ability to tune into ourselves and ask questions and garner answers without making them up ourselves this is a key feature right most of, of what i've found and what others have found in that situation is that you've got to have the better questions and then you also have to be able to hit the pause button and wait for answers to come they will and those answers may come from an inner prompting from another's mouth from something you read that triggers a, a logic leap from the precipice that you're on across the abyss to the other side right or, or it creates a bridge that then makes sense for you in that moment and then you continue it may not make sense to somebody else if you try to articulate it because a lot of these non-linear non-local experiences happen so fast that you can't articulate them well enough and yet ultimately you know i'm i'm presenting that yes we can learn to work together this is kind of a built-in design that we have when we think of you know, compare ourselves, even looking at the mathematics, like I was talking earlier, of how there are these unified field representations, if, if you will, uh, and many fractals, like, you know, we were just watching a, a show today where the 432 was found in many different variations of uh, mathematical equations that are dealing with the measurements of the pyramid and with Da Vinci's works. So cross-referencing things from that perspective very interesting stuff and yet then we have to make that personal and have an experience of it otherwise all the intellectual stuff is pretty much nfg right we can't work with it if we can't make it a direct experience that's shared well one of my favorite sayings that i tell my clients and students is information without application is useless so Absolutely. if you can't take it in and figure out how it applies and how to work with it in your life then it's just it's just intellectual masturbation sure. Absolutely. Um, um wow what, what i My find though is that with the the application speaking of of where you focus your attention intention and then resulting interaction is what produces uh, being aware of that will produce far uh, word i'm getting is superior results okay so i know we're almost out of time i was trying to get one last question in i didn't want to cut you off but oh so, cut me off ask the question so executive director of live and let live global peace movement so we want to make sure a that Elmer has all of where people contact you, stuff like that. He'll post it at the bottom of the video, websites, all of that stuff. So we'll get sure. all that posted so people can do it. But what do you think is the number one most important thing that the Live and Let Live Global Peace Movement needs to be focused on at this time? Because a lot of people think the world's on fire. Yeah. Where are you throwing your bucket There's of water? Live and let live is actually a framework of two principles, a legal and a moral. A legal principle is that we need to non-aggression, right? We need to adjust the laws and or enforce the ones that exist that allow, first of all, change the laws that allow aggression across the gamut from governments to individuals, right? Many countries right now support aggressive activity. We create enemies where there aren't any, just so we can support an economy. Okay, so change or, or an idea. Yep. The other side, the let live side is a moral principle, and that's simply to be a good human, right? We all have different definitions of what that means. The essence of it is, is probably, you know, easily understood is just learn how to love one another let people be who they are if they're not aggressing let them live their lives however they so choose i don't have a right to tell you how to live what to put in your body how to think how to dress how to love who to be with 
how what to do with your property your money any of that kind of stuff nobody should right so, you need uh, to be able to have that supreme authority and free agency of what you do with you okay we, Speaking we could probably of supreme authority elmer <laughs> tech yes. guy has just waited with it Yes, uh, we could probably talk for another hour. Well, you two could probably talk for another hour. And maybe <laughs> or, I could listen. So. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're up to the, uh, we're actually at over our time now, but that's all right. Uh, so Rain, Mary Ashby is our next guest on 814. Tell a little, about, a little bit about her. Oh, Mary Ashby was on here before and she talks about money and getting your money right and all those questions that we had rolling in about people, you know, buying whatever it is, investing or not investing and starting early and just changing the way you look at becoming financially secure. She changed our lives. So I'm here to tell you. <laughs> That's uh, August 14th, same bat time, same bat channel. Uh, Zen, yeah. if you can stick around, uh, we can talk after we are done. I'm going to play us out. Peace out. Thanks for watching or listening to the Laughing, Loving, Into Live show. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the show, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or support us with Buy Me A Coffee. To catch all of the latest from Laughing, Loving, and Alive, you can follow us on Instagram at Laughing, Loving, and Alive, and on Facebook at Laughing, Loving, and Alive. Thanks again, and see you next time.